Good morning, friends. Let me add my uh, particular welcome to those of you who are coming back to Biola or to Biola for the first time. Maybe, as Randy said, other colleges in the area. Uh, we're glad you're here. And we would love it uh, if, if you would make Grace your church home, but, but there are other good gospel-centered churches in the area. And so um, my little mini exhortation to you before we get started in Luke 5 this morning would be to find one. And don't make being a part of the Bride of Christ an optional extra during your time at college. I teach at Biola. I teach in the Biblical and, uh, Studies Division for undergraduate students, so I believe in the mission. A lot of wonderful things happen at Biola. A lot of wonderful things can happen for your Christian growth there. But it isn't the church, and nobody at Biola would say that it is. So uh, make provision for uh, life in the local church while you're, at, uh, while you're doing your college thing. So end of mini-sermon, on to the regular sermon. Um, we're in Luke chapter 5, as Kenny mentioned, so you can go ahead and grab your Bibles. <clears throat> And turn there, there's two, two stories that we're going to uh, focus on from the ministry of Jesus. And these two stories help us to unite key aspects of Christ's character. And, and these are aspects of Christ's character that, that we must treasure, right, in order to find our satisfaction ever more deeply in him. The first one, um, this is the story of the leper and the paralytic, and the first one, the central question revolves around the question of whether or not Jesus is willing to compassionately heal. In the second story, the question revolves around the, question, uh, the, uh, the, the matter of Jesus' ability to forgive sins in the manner that he claims to, to do. So, so willingness and ability, uh, compassion and power, these are the complementary components that we're looking for in the life of Christ this morning. And, and frankly, we'll, we'll find, these are familiar stories, it's not a surprise, I, I don't imagine to many of you, that Jesus is both willing and strong to deliver. And, and, and he must be both of those things, right? In order to accomplish his mission, in order to deliver sinners, he must be both of those things. Think for, I mean, if, if Jesus were <clears throat> compassionate only but not powerful to deliver, he might be really good at empathy. He might send condolences, grieve with you, but there wouldn't be deliverance if he lacked power to do something about our predicament of sin. He might feel bad for us, but not be capable of delivering us. On the other hand, if he is in fact powerful to deliver and cleanse and save, but he's not willing to exercise that power on our behalf, I'm still left without deliverance, right? you're still left without deliverance. Jesus, one of, the, one of the beautiful things about Jesus's character is that in one person, he unites both of those qualities, willingness and strength to deliver. So our goal this morning, my goal uh, for us this morning, more than anything else, is to help us by God's grace grow more satisfied in the compassion and strength of Jesus towards sinners. We can do those, we can unite those two things in our estimation of Jesus and grow a little bit more satisfied in him. We will have fed the flock, so may God make it so. Um, again, many of you are, are here for the, for the first time, so just to kind of set the stage, uh, we're in Luke 5. Jesus's public ministry has been commissioned in the last couple of chapters, baptism, uh, temptation, the quotation from Isaiah 61 applied uh, in his preaching in Luke 
four, and, and, and it's kind of from that point forward, Jesus has been about the business of, of reclaiming a world that is now at odds with its maker, right? The world isn't doing what it was made to do. That's the results of, of sin and fallenness. And, and so we see Jesus sort of taking back what is rightfully his. We see it when he drives out demons. We see it when he rebukes fevers. We see it especially in his preaching of the good news. We see it last week in the calling of disciples to join him in the enterprise of preaching that good news. And, and as all of this is taking place, Jesus is increasingly revealing his identity, right? And the heart of his mission. And as the specificity about who he is goes up, one of the things we're going to see today is that the responses to Jesus increasingly start to diverge. The more Jesus is, is clear about who he is and what he's come to do, the more it becomes clear you can't take what you want from Jesus and leave the rest behind, the more the pathway of, of response to Jesus begins uh, to, to diverge. And we'll see some of that today. Our stories are well known. Uh, the healing of the leper and the paralytic brought by his friends. In the first, Jesus is going to relieve the leper of not only physical contamination, but also social contamination. In the second one, it's, going, it's, it's true in the first story, but it's even more clear in the second story, the healing of the paralytic, that Jesus is also exercising his willingness and ability to cleanse the deeper contamination of sin that separates us from God, okay? So that's kind of the progression. Uh, what we're, gonna, we're gonna ask for God's help this morning, and then we'll dive right in to the story of the cleansing of the leper, okay? So uh, pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you now. I'm aware that some have come to worship this morning with a keen sense uh, of how deeply their need for Jesus is. Others of us have the same deep need for Jesus, but maybe have come in a way that that sense has been dulled or diminished this past week. And Lord, I imagine there are those here that have never yet been awakened to the depth of their need for Jesus. Our prayer is that you would give each of us in the ways appropriate to our actual need, the eyes to see the need that we have and the mercy that Jesus offers. We ask that he would be glorified in our time together. Amen. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 12. Uh, Luke 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, <clears throat> there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched, uh, stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. <clears throat> so 
this leper approaches Jesus, and he is in a terrible predicament. Um, the word leprosy, and the word for leprosy, biblically speaking, can, can cover a variety of skin diseases. If you want an education on that, spend some time in Leviticus 13 this afternoon. I'll actually read a little bit of that to you here in a moment. So it, cover, it can cover a variety of skin diseases, <clears throat> lesions, boils, what have you. Whatever particular form this man had, Luke says he's full of it, okay? He's full of this leprous skin disease. And as a result, he is physically and socially contaminated. He must be physically and socially isolated. Uh, Leviticus 13, 45 and 46, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen. But here's the provision for what the contaminated person is supposed to do, how they're supposed to conduct themselves in the community. It says, uh, it reads as follows, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, so that the, those instructions make it clear that the leprous person is required to dress and present himself or herself in such a way that it would make other people want to stay away from you, right? You're, you're supposed to present yourself in a way that other people want to go in the opposite direction. He's required to declare his uncleanness in the presence of others who may be drawing too close so that they'll stay away and is required to live alone until the time that perhaps cleansing takes place. And the reason for all of these provisions is, is that, right, in, in, in the biblical understanding, anyone who comes into contact with the leprous person, anything, right, even an article of clothing that comes into contact with the leprous person becomes contaminated or becomes unclean itself. Talk about social distancing and isolation. Um, we've had some experience with that, right? We all know, at least to some degree, not to this guy's degree, but to some degree, that kind of isolation can really wear a person down. I know that some of the images that whenever this COVID era is passed, some of the images that are the most depressing, but the most resonating with me were images of hospital patients who couldn't have visitors, like loved ones, like husbands and children. I watched a, I rewatched a video the other day of a family <clears throat> who had to say goodbye to mom and grandmother over Skype. It was the best they could do, right? The provisions would not allow them uh, at the time to, to, be, to be with her in, her in her dying moments. And you just think that's so, I mean, I mean, you know, with school and what have you, we've appreciated Zoom and those sorts of things. But I mean, think, here thinking about the leper, a guy who's craving touch, and you think about those contexts, somebody who's craving affectionate touch and can't have it, right? That's just, that's soul crushing. So in this guy's own sense of desperation from the isolation that he's been dealing with, he violates protocol. He comes to Jesus. He's probably heard of Jesus' power, right? 
And he seems to have absolutely zero doubts about Jesus' ability to heal. He doesn't come and say, are you able? His question is, are you willing? He's pretty confident that Jesus can do this if he chooses. And yet, it's a scary thing for him to come to Jesus. What if Jesus scolds him? What if Jesus condemns him? What if Jesus flees? It's scary and risky, but it also shows that he has abandoned all hopes of self-deliverance. And that's good news. That's a hard place to be, but that's a very good place to be. So he approaches Jesus with great humility. He, he makes no demands. He has no expectations. He has no sense of entitlement that Jesus owes him cleansing. He just falls on his face and begs Jesus for mercy. He grasps at least something of his need for Jesus. And that understanding in itself is a tremendous mercy because those who do not recognize their need for Jesus cannot yet receive his gifts, right? The precondition to receiving what he has to offer is an awareness that we need it. And this guy, right, we don't, we don't even know fully to what degree, but the light is coming on. And let me do a quick sidebar here, okay, because the issue of healing and sickness and stuff. This story is not to say, the next story is not to say, your story is not to say that if you haven't been healed of your physical burdens, you're not believing enough. It is also not to say that this man's disease or your infirmity are the direct consequence of some specific sin. There's nothing in either passage that would indicate that, okay? So, so but at, at the same time, at the same time, this is not a, a consequence of some specific sin, this kind of infirmity and disease is a consequence of a fallen world more generally, right? And those who are in Adam's line, Adam's sons and daughters, have the same vulnerability and frailty to disease, infirmity, disability, ultimately even death. So this is a co the context of life in a fallen <clears throat> world. Now, um, We'll get back to a little bit of that uh, in, in, in a minute, but, but the point for now, what we see in the look of this leper that is instructive for all of us is that the look for deliverance must be away from the self and to Christ, okay? If we look to ourselves for deliverance, that is a look that will not suffice. We're not like Jesus. We, we're willing. <laughs> we would relieve every burden and every grief immediately for ourselves if we could. Wouldn't we? If we could, we would. But we can't. We don't have the power to self-deliver. We, we are willing, not, not able. Like the leper, we must also come to the end of ourselves so that we might look instead to Christ. Now, keep in mind as well <clears throat> that um, in a biblical frame of reference, uncleanness on the outside is meant to serve as a picture of the greater uncleanness of sin on the inside. It's right, it's a pointer to a greater predicament, a need for an even greater cleansing. It's a picture, and it's illustrated very well physically with the leper, but it's a picture, spiritually speaking, of blocked fellowship and inhibited reconciliation. I know that some of you guys know physical suffering can be debilitating. You know that far too well, you struggle to endure. 
And we don't want to minimize that. We want to pray for one another in that. We want to pray for relief for one another in that. But we also want to recognize that all of our infirmities, be they, be they brief or long in duration, are object lessons of a kind about our spiritual uncleanness and need for the Lord's touch. Okay? So, but what does Jesus do here? Right? The religious context of the day said that unclean contaminates clean. Unclean contaminates clean. So everyone else moves away from this man. What does Jesus do? He demonstrates his willingness to heal in the most, I mean, because kind of put yourself in that thought world, right? In the most astonishing way possible. He moves towards him and heals him by touch. The very thing that everyone in that context would have assumed would make Jesus unclean. Look at it in verse 13 again. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. Now, again, knowing who Jesus is, he didn't have to do it this way. He could have healed this, this guy with a word from a distance of 50 yards. Instead, he moves towards him and heals by means of physical contact. You've got to wonder, when was, the last, when was the last time this guy had felt the caring touch of another human being? I mean, as I, I mean, you know, we don't have the history here, but as I think of it, every prior human contact has got to end one of two ways, right? Door number one is self-deprecation. Unclean, unclean. Door number two is rebuke. Get away, get away. <laughs> How tender. How merciful. Right? He's, get, he's getting more than he asked or imagined. He's not just getting cleansed. He's getting touched. He's getting embraced. He's getting restored, not only physically, but again, socially to the community. That's, that's why Jesus you know, says, go to the priest and show yourself, because there's got to be the verification and, and the welcoming, the sacrifice and welcome back into the community. But, but here's the point, right? All of a sudden, when Jesus does this, it is no longer the contagion of leprosy that's front and center. It's the contagion, if you will, of Jesus' purity. The expectation was unclean contaminates clean. With Jesus, clean transfers to unclean. In the most gentle, compassionate, willing way possible. So take, I want to ask you this, don't, you don't have to answer out loud, but um, maybe do you, do you feel this morning unclean spiritually the way this guy felt unclean physically? Did you come to church feeling outside the scope of God's love? You wonder if Jesus saw your insides, if he would turn his back on you and go, that's too contaminated, too unclean. Friends, I want you to know, you don't have to win, wonder if Jesus is willing to move towards you and cleanse you. Our passage shows that this morning. 1 John 1.9 shows that. Remember 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just 
to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm going to try not to hurt myself, Moyer, but it is the same verb <laughs> in 1 John 1. Moyer can tell you, to, you know, the degree to which that may or may not be significant, but I thought it was interesting, at least. Cleanse. There's no uncleanness too great for Jesus, provided you recognize your need and come to him. And it doesn't matter if you are looking to him for the first time today or the 10,000th time. Jesus is willing to move towards you, to touch, to deliver. And, and, and for, let, me, let me just say this, right? For his, for his sheep, that touch does include physical healing. Yes, it does. Maybe not quite how you picture it. Maybe not in your timing. But since Jesus uh, redeems whole persons, the question for the child of God of the removal of physical suffering is simply a question of when, not if. Okay? Simply a question of when, not if. And, and, And just consider where Jesus is ultimately going, right? He himself is moving towards a day where he asks for a great personal deliverance and gets told, not this time. You can't go around this one, son. You gotta go through it. Jesus chiefly knows what it feels like to feel abandoned by God. Maybe some of you have felt that way in your suffering. It, it, I want to say this right, super gently, right, but, but, but hopefully truthfully as well. It is no diminishment of the significance of your hurt. It is no minimization of your pain to say that if you have felt that way or feel that way today, you are in the very best of company. And in Christ, you will not only go through what he went through, right, but you will go where he ultimately goes. See, Jesus can not only sympathize with our weakness, he himself is the deepest proof that what feels like abandonment to one of his sheep is not, in fact, ultimately abandonment. That's, what Je- that, right? that, that's where this is going, and it, and, and it clarifies as, we're, as we move into the next story here in just a moment. He's coming to take away your abandonment. He's coming to take that from you so that you don't have to endure it. Now, the good news is you don't have to know the timeline of your entire story in order to trust him. All you have to know is his heart, and it is throbbing, right, with the good news of his willingness in this passage. But he wants to do more than just physically heal, Right? And the next story shows that even more clearly. So let's pick it up in verse 17. This is the story of the paralytic. <clears throat> On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were s- sitting there. Oh, I'm not going to do the glasses thing, sorry. Or get a bigger Bible. <clears throat> let's try that again. Uh, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. 
And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. All right, well, aside from being told to show himself to the priest, the leper had also been told to not tell anybody else about what was going on or what happened to him, probably to avoid confusion uh, about the messianic identity and mission of Jesus. But word gets out, nevertheless, and the crowds get larger. <clears throat> And the religious officials begin to take an even more keen interest in who Jesus is. The leper came alone. The paralytic is carried by friends who understand, if nothing else, that they need to get their buddy to Jesus. So when they're blocked by the crowd, they go up on the roof and tear a hole and lower him through the roof. When Jesus finally speaks to the paralytic and addresses him, we're told he does so in recognition of their faith. Now, so who's they? Well, I'm sure it's inclusive of the paralytic, right? It's hard to imagine friends taking the paralytic to Jesus against his will. It is even harder to imagine Jesus forgiving this man of sin in the absence of his own faith. But make no mistake, the faith that is in view, the faith that is at work here, absolutely includes the faith of the friends who are going to these extravagant lengths to get their friend to Jesus. We don't know much about these guys, but they are the very best kind of friends, aren't they? Friends whose emphasis is to help carry others to Jesus. We need friends like that. You need friends like that. I need friends like that. By God's grace, we need to become those kinds of friends. Some of you, right, starting your college experience, I hope you find some of those friends. If you don't have them already on your college campus or at Grace or the local church you become a part of. Kenny and I were talking about the worship service this week and he shared a really great thought about how this point about the friends uh, carrying this man to Jesus fits in the, the, the emphasis um, on discipleship at, at Grace about looking left and, and moving right. Here, I couldn't say it better than he said, so here's, here's Kenny's comment to me. He said, the paralytic being carried to Jesus and let down through the roof to get to him, uh, get him to Jesus, is a beautiful picture of the idea we've been talking about, looking left and helping others move right. The faith of these men as they intercede and help get this man closer to Jesus is commended. A mindset of discipleship involves seeing others that God has put in our lives and helping them to get closer to Jesus, first to saving faith, and then pressing on to maturity. I think it's great. I mean, that, that fits very nicely with what we're talking about. I think that's a very well put point. And I don't want to belabor the issue of these four guys, but they really are, we know they're four because of Mark's gospel. It doesn't say 
for here, but, but, but anyway, um, they caught my eye this week. So um, I read a sermon by Charles Spurgeon called Carried by Four, and I had to work really hard to decide what not to read <laughs> from that sermon. You, you do yourself a favor and, uh, you know, you can go, it's, it's online, you can, you can check it out online, but um, so Charles Spurgeon, is, is making application at this point, and, and so much good stuff. Um, he, he, he gives application to uh, a wife um, who, who has a son and two daughters who are believers, but the husband's not a believer. And, and he gives exhortation and application to how they can carry his couch to Jesus by prayer, right, on the, bearing his burdens on the backs of their prayer. He goes into some detail about what he would love to see happen in the church as people unite. And he says, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's not enough, it's not enough for, what, for one friend to help you get to Jesus. Sometimes you need four and, and you know, surround the person in prayer and be devoted. And Anyway, okay, so here's the part I'm actually going to read. He's talking about the ministry of the body of Christ together in this endeavor. It was a very singular action which the bearers performed. Who would have thought of breaking up a roof? Nobody but those who loved much and much desired to benefit the sick. And then, then, then he, okay, so the end quote for a moment. Um, then he anticipates some objections that, that people in the church might push back with. Well, you know, I'm not gifted. And I don't speak well. And, okay. Quote on. Some of you say, oh, we cannot be of any use we wish we could preach. Here's Spurgeon's reply to that hypothetical objection. These men could not preach. They did not need to preach. They lowered the paralytic and their work was done. They could not preach, but they could hold a rope. <laughs> we want in the Christian church not only preachers but soul winners who can bear souls on their hearts and feel the solemn burden. Men who, it may be, cannot talk but who can weep. Men who cannot break other men's hearts with their language, but who break their own hearts with their compassion. End of quote. Okay, quick clarification, then we're done with Charles Spurgeon. If you know him, he's not saying, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. He's not saying that. He's not saying some kind of ministry in the absence of proclamation. He's talking about the unified operation of the diverse gifts in the body of Christ partnering together in the endeavor to bring lost persons and other sheep to Jesus for whatever method uh, and mode of healing that they need. That, that's what he's talking about. No more Spurgeon. <clears throat> so the paralytic is brought to Jesus to be healed, but once again, he gets more than he asks for, doesn't he? He comes to be healed. He leaves healed and forgiven. Again, that means that physical healing, as critical as it was to the ministry of Jesus, was not the crux of what he came to do. In fact, in our story, right, the story of the paralytic, we see Jesus, he's taking the initiative to force the issue about his identity. He's, he, 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 he's forcing this issue, and it is going to drive a wedge of division in terms of how people respond to him. So the leper wanted to know if Jesus is willing. The central question here becomes the question from the scribes and Pharisees. And it's not so much a question as it is really on their part an accusation, right, about his claim to be able to forgive sins. You see that in verse 21, right? Their, their thinking, their response to Jesus after he 
claims to forgive this man is to say, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So we need to spend a minute uh, unpacking why they conclude that Jesus has just blasphemed, right? And this is critical. The reason they conclude that Jesus is blasphemed is that enforcing the issue of his identity, Jesus is claiming to forgive in ways that only God can forgive. He's claiming identity with God, equality with God. Let's unpack that, okay? Two, two, two comments here. First, Jesus has never met this guy before. He's never met this paralytic. This guy has no past history of specific sin against Jesus. His sins were not against Jesus directly. Jesus is not saying when he shows up, hey, Bill, I forgive you for that time you stole five denarii from me, right? He says your sins are forgiven. In other words, he's saying your debt before God is canceled. Again, we don't have that ability. We should forgive as we have been forgiven, but for one, we can only forgive those sins that have been forget, uh, committed against us. So, right, let's say, for example, let's say that I steal $5 from Moyer. Okay, I didn't, I didn't really do this in real life, but let's, for sake of example, let's say I steal $5 from Moyer. Let's say I, let's say I begin to feel bad about that. Right? I begin to feel, I come under conviction and, and uh, recognize a need to repent. And, and in my desire to repent, I go to Kenny and I say, Kenny, I stole $5 from Moyer. I feel so bad about that. Please forgive me. <laughs> Kenny's going to go, your heart is in the right place, but there's something missing here. I'm glad you feel conviction for sin, but I can't forgive you for sin you committed against Moyer. You've got to go to him and make your confession. Jesus is not claiming to forgive some personal offense this guy has had against him in the past. He is claiming to forgive all of this man's sins. And only God can do that. Okay, so secondly, let's adjust the story a little bit. Let's say, let's say Kenny helps me out and he says, you, you got to go to Moyer. Okay, I go to Moyer. I apologize to, 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 to Moyer. I confess my sin. I ask for forgiveness and he grants it, okay? Right? He, he, he forgives as he has been forgiven. Even then, Moyer's forgiveness would amend our relationship in spite of my sin but it doesn't cancel my debt before God, does it? Jesus is claiming precisely to objectively cancel the sinner's debt before God. That's what the Pharisees and scribes hear him saying, and they're hearing him correctly, right? Don't, don't miss that point. They're not, they're, they're not getting their response to Jesus wrong because they don't understand him. They're getting their response to Jesus wrong because they do understand him and they don't like what he's saying. We can fall into the same pitfall. It, it, we, we, we can misunderstand Jesus and need clarity and confusion, but we can also resist what is actually true about Jesus because our hearts are hard or stubborn or we don't like what he has to say. Jesus isn't even saying here, I pronounce forgiveness over you in the name of God, right? He's forgiving 
as the one who himself has full prerogative to cancel the debt of sin because he is fully God. He is able because of who he is. So after Jesus pierces their thoughts, he goes a step further enforcing the claims about his identity, right? He says in verse 23, okay, let's take this a step further. What's easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Think about that for a minute. The easier thing to say is your sins are forgiven. Why? Because it's not verifiable. If all he does is say your sins are forgiven and the moment after he says that, no one with mere and ordinary human perception will be able to tell whether that did or did not happen. On the other hand, if he says rise, take up your bed and go home, and the moments after that, everyone with ordinary human perception will be able to tell whether that did or did not happen. So it's easier to say the thing that cannot be tested, right? The claim that cannot be verified by ordinary human beings. So then in verses 24 and 25, Jesus basically says, in order to, in, to demonstrate my authority to heal uh, and to forgive the spiritual paralysis of sin, he says, I'm gonna show my power to deal with physical paralysis. And he does. Now, while it is easier to say your sins are forgiven, forgiving sins in the manner that Jesus is doing here is the harder thing to do, okay? Easier to say, harder to do, why? Because in order to do it, Jesus must drink the cup of God's wrath against sin for us. Jesus does not just forgive sin by dismissal of sin. He forgives sin by substitutionary payment in our place. So so in order for this forgiveness to transact, Jesus must pay the debt by absorbing the wrath of God that sin deserves. In this case, we see that Jesus is not only willing, but strong to bear our sins away. It's a beautiful picture, right? When you put the two stories together, the willingness of Jesus, the strength of Jesus to deliver in one person, as we said, At the outset, he unites both mercy and majesty. It's one of the reasons we can be confident about the claims of who he is, right? It's these unique claims, the uniting of these diverse excellencies and beauties. He alone, as a result, can deliver. And he alone, therefore, is worthy of our worship. Our goal this morning has been to stir up a sense of satisfaction in Christ this morning as the one who uniquely combines these characteristics and qualities. And as we come to a close, if we can help you with that at the end of the service, Randy already mentioned that at the end of the service there will be prayer team members scattered around the room. If we can can elaborate on that, we'd love to talk more about Jesus with you. If we can pray for you and increase sense of satisfaction in the one who unites both mercy and majesty, We'd love to do that for you. Kenny's going to come and lead us in our closing hymn. As he does, 
I would just encourage you to take a moment where you are and meditate on Jesus' willingness to meet you in your weakness and uncleanness on the one hand and his strength to deliver you from the wages of your sin on the other. May Christ be glorified.